You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host today as we dive deep into the multiverse and discover worlds of hot dog hands, evil bagels, sci-fi insanity, all to heal one family's broken hearts in the amazing new film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. This film really rocked my world. I left the theater with a huge smile on my face and a million questions. In a world where Marvel and Star Wars have been dominating fandom, this film brings an indie aesthetic and a whole lot of excitement to a genre that quite frankly has been coming a bit stale recently. We are lucky enough to have a bunch of the sound team with us today to talk about creating the soundscape of, well, complete chaos almost. First up, we have sound supervisor Brent Kaiser. Welcome to Tonebenders, Brent. Hey, thanks for having me. Next up is re-recording mixer Alexandra Furman, who also mixed the recent Best Picture winner at the Oscars, Coda. This is quite a run you're on, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Also joining us from Everything Everywhere All at Once is the film's sound designer, Andrew Twite. Good to meet you, Andrew. Nice to meet you, Tim. Really happy to be here. I'm a fan, for sure. Oh, wow. That's nice to hear. Thanks for saying that. Finally, we have ADR supervisor, Julie Diaz. Great to have you on board, Julie. Hey, Tim. Happy to be here. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. Okay, let's talk about the first time you each either read the script or saw a cut of Everything Everywhere all at once. What was your reaction in terms of what this film was going to need for sound? Were you overwhelmed by it? Uh, Brent, why don't you take a first run at that? Um, Imagine trying to read words without seeing these visuals and just being mind blown, being like, sure, I guess this is going to work. Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Daniel's minds are so unique. Uh, and we've been blessed to work with them for so long that I've learned to really trust the process. They were pretty great about not just giving us a script, but giving us like a Spotify playlist of like sonic thoughts and ideas. And so we were able to pull a lot from that, as well as while they were shooting, we'd see uh, steals from dailies and Paul Rogers, the editor Parallax was really cool and would always show us stuff that he was putting together. So it was um, a long process from about 2016. This has kind of been on our radar and we've been kind of pulling inspirations ever since. So Alexandra, you mixed it. Did you also do sound editing on it? I did not. I, I just came on for the final final mix. The first time you saw it would have been kind of after other processes that happened already. So what was your first thoughts when you thought, how am I going to wrangle all this sound into a cohesive unit? <laughs> well, I have to say, I, I got a cut of the film um, when after Brent talked to me about, about the possibility of mixing it, I wanted to watch it and I went home and I watched it and uh, even in the temp, the Daniels had provided like a, a pretty big uh, roadmap about what this film will sound like. It was huge, but the film is so captivating that I lost myself just watching it. And I wasn't thinking about about all of the sound like I normally do when I first watch something to decide if I'm going to work on it. So I was just 
I was floored with just how amazing the film was. And then I stopped by to meet with the Daniels and um, Brent gave me a little sample of what they had been working on, some of Twite's uh, sound design, and it had already been pre-mixed. And so I watched one of the first fight scenes and I was just getting more and more excited to be a part of this film with every step that it took to get there. So Andrew, as sound designer, did you crap your pants when you first saw or read it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the first, first, I mean, I had the script and the like kind of the pitch deck that they had put together that Brent mentioned. And uh, what the first thing I saw of it was a long play that was still like four hours long. And I cried at the end of it (laughs) because one, it's just a very, it's a beautiful story. And uh, I was really drawn to that. But yeah, at the same time, normally when I watch through, I'm kind of taking mental notes as to, okay, we need to get this. Okay, we need to think about what will pop potentially go into this element and all that stuff. But for the most part, I was really just trying to get a sense of the big picture, which is still really hard because there's so much going on. Uh, you know, once I watched it and knew that they were still going to be cutting some stuff down, I was so excited i'd never worked on anything of this this scale before you know no one has <laughs> it's i mean it's uh, it's overwhelming there's no doubt you know you sit there and you're like oh man like one thing bleeds into another well like where are we gonna go with this but you know we love the daniels they're super creative they allow us to like really flex our creative muscles and you know i, I knew we'd be just fine <laughs> once we got into it Julie, how were the tracks from set? Was this an ADR intensive film or? Um, actually, no, it wasn't. I think most of the work lied in um, Loop Group. And when the Daniels went back in and kind of rewrote a few things. But I mean, this the dialogue for this film was pretty much solid from the beginning. And our location sound people were incredible for that. So I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> Something that I think Andrew just mentioned was that uh, the Daniels, the director's, gave you a lot of space to put your creativity in. I recently heard an interview with them. They were talking more about what was happening on set, but they were saying like the the film was so dense, there were so many ideas going on that they had to leave it to like the set designers and the costume department and such to kind of put their own selves and their own ideas into it to kind of flesh it out as much as they could. Did that apply to sound? Were you able to really uh, come up with weird things that maybe they never would have thought of? First thing we were given was the hallway scene. Uh, to cut in and, and just get some ideas and literally we're told just get weird throw whatever in we're just looking for ideas it was kind of great you know we went in we added weird things like pinballs on the ceilings you know radio waves coming by you know wherever we could find something that was funny to us we would cut in and a lot of it stuck including all the cartoony stuff that we did there you know that wasn't any it, those were no sounds that we had to develop those are very recognizable sounds, but we figured, you know, it was something that they had kind of mentioned in their notes. And I was like, well, yeah, I love, like you, I've spent a lot of time cutting animation for TV. So those kind of accents kind of come naturally to me. And I was like, oh yeah, let's just throw in some kind of Looney Tunes stuff here. And it totally stuck. They had planted the seed about this radio motif that we hear throughout the film that's kind of tied to Joe Boo. And that was our first chance to kind of just get some temp radio sounds in there just to kind of get a feel for what that would be. And then that evolved a little more later, but that scene, it really, it did stick 
quite well. They, they didn't do too much more cutting to it. By the time we got the final, it was very similar. So it was actually kind of nice because that was one thing that we already kind of had very well established. Then we could worry about some of the other huge scenes, you know. So once the tracks were all up on the faders, Alexandra and Brent, I believe you mixed this together. Alexandra, what were you handling on the mix stage? I normally do dialogue uh, and music, um, but on this film, I did effects and I had such a great time mixing effects. I met with uh, Brent and he told me a little bit about the film. And like I said, when I watched it, I was so stoked to be on the effects side, just knowing how much action there was and how much uh, fun and wacky sounds there were going to be (laughs) encountered. So yes, I mixed effects on this with Brent at Signature. So Brent, uh, uh, you were doing music and dialogue. This film's music is different than what we're getting for recent epic scores. As I mentioned, the whole film kind of has more of an indie feel to it. Brent, can you talk us through working with Sunlux, the composers, and how their music kind of punched through in the mix? Working with Sunlux was a dream come true. Amazing guys, amazing, talented geniuses in their own right, which was very daunting at first because you're like, am I cool enough to hang out? Like, <laughs> like, is it sure? And, you know, tiptoeing around everything, being like, do you mind if I do this? Do you mind if I touch this? You know, but they were amazing and they were very humble with the music even at times telling us to turn their stuff down to turn our stuff up which never happens but it was a big collaborative process you know daniels had reached out to sunlux during the creative process and dan kwan wrote a lot listening to their stuff and they came on really excited gave access to their whole entire library and even instrumentals so they had that to temp in for the edit. So a lot of the music there was already Sunlux music. And the sound design and the music got along really well from the start because of that um, being available. Sunlux was brought on like before Michelle Yeoh was even confirmed. It was during the writing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah I, they haven't even shot yet. So they were on it for about two and a half years or something like that. So, I mean, their work was cut out for them, as you can tell from the final product. They... They worked hard, but they it, yeah. they were amazing. And those whole movies all about rhythm. It was great because they laid the roadmap for us to jump in and around, um, it, allowing us to shine and making sure Andrew's stuff was able to poke through and not get lost. Uh, I think that was the, the great thing about it. There was always the intention for sound design to be added on top instead of just, oh, here's my music. They were very sound design minded. Julie gave dialogue to sample for songs at the beginning through the laundry mat. There was so much stuff that we had to make sure that we were focused on matching to beat instead of picture because it would just really play well. We learned a lot from Sunlux as well, just like on how certain things can play with other instrumentation and how to push things harder. It was a dream scenario. I had already been a fan of Sunlux for many years, and I didn't realize that they were the ones composing because everybody was referring to them by their first names, which I just didn't immediately put together until, of course, I started to hear the score. And then they showed up, and I was so excited. (laughs) 
We were on the second day of mix, I believe, when they came. It was really cool to work with them because they're so into sound and sound design. They were really curious about what we did and we were mutually curious about what they did. And it was such a fun like nerd fest with them. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, it was really intimidating at first because one, we knew how long they had been working on this before they showed up for the mix. And they were on the stage for the, pretty much the entirety of the final mix. And as a sound designer, you know that music wins out a lot of times. The Daniels are very musically minded, especially when it comes to rhythm and beats. And that's, it's great because they have a great sense of what that can accomplish. But, you know, knowing how heavy this score was gonna be, it's it was intimidating thinking like, how are we gonna like add our touch and like spice things up because you know if you're just pummeled with music the whole time it's you know it it will get a little monotonous so trying to like add our color was I was a little worried but then once we got going I was just like oh man they're in it with us everything just fell into place like Alex said like we just started working on ways where we could complement each other and it was a good feeling And, and they're great great guys I'm a big fan And everybody in that room was really collaborative. Like it really felt like we were all holding hands. It was really nice to work with them in that way. As a viewer of the film, that kind of idea comes through in the sound because the sound is so broad and eclectic and there's so much going on. Like there's no way this was a a one person job. You know what I mean? Like it it felt like lots of different ideas were being put in the pot to uh, stir it up and see what came out of it. And, And it really works and feels fresh and uh, new, like in, in addition to the plot and the visuals, the sound felt uh, fresh and new. Thank you. The downsides of having that super dense soundtrack in other films, not this one, it can feel eventually like you're just being hit in the head with a frying pan. You know, there's just so much going on, going on. <laughs> there's a moment that you think is going to be a sight gag where two inanimate objects have a conversation. And there are a bunch of little short little gags throughout the film, but then this one keeps going. It lasts quite a while. Mm-hmm. When I was reflecting on the film later, I realized that although it's actually one of the more touching scenes in the film, uh, some important moments are played out, but it also serves as like a palate cleanser to let the audience like catch their breath let your heart rate lower a little bit before the last 20 minutes of the film or however much time is left just, again, comes at you hard and heavy. Yeah. How did you figure out ways, other spots in the film to kind of mm-hmm. give us that pacing to let us catch our breath here and there? Well, that particular moment was built by design. Yeah. It was just that breath of fresh air that you need. You're right. Uh, I, You know, anywhere we could find a moment, uh, you know, even... You know, at the end of the three-person fight, when things slow down, you know, we had a lot more design going on in that moment to kind of accentuate the grabs and everything. But what we ended up deciding as a group, like, just let's pull as much back as humanly possible. We've been hearing so much for the last 30 minutes, like... Let's let's let people breathe. And, you know, with the nature of the music at times, it's, you know, they're very heavy and complex percussion rhythms. And that with little bits of sound design, you are getting pummeled at times. And sometimes that there's good intention in that to like disorient the, the, the audience a little bit before you reel it back in. So, I mean, there, there were a lot of moments where we were just looking for a breath, looking for a breath. And if we could squeeze it in, we would. 
Uh, Brent, can you think of <laughs> any specifics <laughs> well, in mean, there too? Well, by design, I think, you know, that was a big thing with the picture editorial process on this was were a lot of reviews to make sure that the pacing was right. It wasn't too much all the time. Uh, our key word from Dan Kwan that I think haunts us all is swell. Mm-hmm. Swell drop. Swell mm-hmm. drop. And so anytime there would be a, you know, a creative rock in a hard place, we'd be swell, swell. That sounds swell. That sounds swell, swell. <laughs> and uh, we would just end up making these rhythms out of it that really just helped with the tension and release. So I think you needed a lot of the cacophony and build up to get the release at moments to also help you focus and find focus. Yeah, that was absolutely the intention. And then watching the film now as a viewer, I see that that's actually uh, represented in the full mix as well. It's it's kind of like a very, it's a slow build. You know, we have the first fight is a little bit more realistic and we get, you know, just crazy from there. And then of course, uh, near the end with, with the bagel, we've got everything going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to ask you a question about loop group, Julie, but we're going to hold on that for one second. Sorry. Cause you just brought something up. The, the fight scene at the end, there is a portal that opens up. Yes. The portal is making a lot of noise. It's sucking wind. Uh, things are flying through it, but it's open for a long period of time in the film. Mm-hmm. And these are some of the hardest things to do to keep the presence there, but not have it, you know, overwhelmed because you got to have time for the score to come in. If you want to talk about how you mix that, maybe, Alexander, how did you keep the presence there without it uh, being overwhelming? So uh, we were really lucky because Andrew Twight gave us so many textural elements to that portal. So when we were right on it, I could focus on more of like the rotating sound. And then as we pull back from it, I can focus more on like the just the vastness of the bagel itself um so it could feel more airy and stay out of the way of the dialogue so i think that what we did in the mix was just make sure that it felt big using all of the air using all of the room but it wasn't intrusive until it had its moments and then there were so many um things that we could use to crowd that sound space as we're looking at it movement and and some of the darker sounds some of the more noticeable sounds the less low end sounds i just feel like we interwove it pretty well and we were able to do so because there are so many it was such a nice build nice full build we were able to make that happen because of andrew's layout and making it so easy for us to have pre-dubs after pre-dubs sections uh, for us to be able to grab quick things and make changes. I think because there is there's so many elements that are playing out at that point, you know, whether it's action fighting, little conceptual radio, gong gongs, robot, the the paper flying everywhere. When people get closer or getting sucked into it, there's kind of this particle breakdown. Like you see, it's Dan Kwan's cameo in the movie. He's the first person to get sucked into it. <laughs> when he's like, ah, ah, like, so that kind of, that granular kind of sound. So instead of just bombarding you with this constant, which was certainly in there, mm-hmm. we were able to come to and from it when we needed to. But if we needed to just, you know, not have that dark weight, we could have more on that granular or so even focusing on some of, you know, the, the trees and the foliage that are living in that IRS space. We had to build out everything so we had all those options, you know, and mm-hmm. 
And once we did, it gave us a lot more freedom than I even anticipated once we got to that final scene. Because the bagel is definitely a big deal, but at the same time, it's not like your main character all the time. <laughs> You're focusing more on these actions and these conversations that are taking place. And if it's just whining and droning over you for 20 minutes, you know, you're, you're, the, the ear fatigue would be insane. I mean, and it was just cutting it. I would, mm -hmm. you know, it was hard to see the forest for the trees. Like when you're just focusing on one element out of all so many elements that are playing at the same time. But, and then again, you have music. And I think that the end of the movie really does kind of help show you that this movie is greater than the sum of all its parts. You know, it's with everything coming together and working in conjunction I think it kind of all would have just crumbled so everybody kind of bringing their a-game with from the dialogue and ADR to the music and the effects at the end it just it was a, just a matter of finding that balance because everybody had come and put their part in well it worked really well because uh I've had to work on similar scenes to that and uh as you say it's daunting when you're just cutting it and you're not you don't have all the other pieces and it just feels like it's too much and then you put it on the faders and the mixers make it work and it's always take a big breath oh this is gonna work this is gonna work yeah thank god <laughs> and you know when you see the directors being like okay you can see them nodding and seeing that they're feeling it fall into place because they again we had to de defer to their vision and they are great directors in that in that respect they they knew what they wanted they knew the rhythm and the feel of this thing from start to finish that they wanted to achieve before we were even involved so without their guidance you know it could have really really been a hornet's nest <laughs> so julie with loop group in addition to all the chaos scenes with million fight scenes going on and everything there are also quieter scenes like at jamie lee curtis's desk in the laundromat and when i say quieter they're not actually quiet there's a lot going on. It's just not yeah. obviously loud noises. You've built out a world outside of her little cubicle and outside of whoever's having the immediate conversation in the laundromat. Do you want to just talk about how you uh, tackled those for Loop Group and such? For Loop, we brought in a really great group. Uh, they were not only English speaking, but Mandarin and Cantonese. Not only were they able to speak uh, Mandarin and Cantonese, their English accents were also spot on. So not only were we able to use them for the different language scenes, at like the crowds in the theater when Michelle Yeoh's in her movie theater or her movie star universe, or like the outside alley in the same universe, we were able to, of course, put them in the in the IRS building, just sprinkle them here and there. Everybody's answering phones. It's also really funny because we were doing the loop group during like when a lot of people were doing their taxes <laughs> too like so a lot of them like were saying like the types of forms that you need and everything so it, was, it all worked out it was really funny I got really lucky the Daniels were all there to direct and they were very hands-on with it so there were things that they were throwing out and just being like hey I want to hear this like go ahead and um just like things on the fly and one of my favorite group moments that kind of was also just crazy was the uh, Space Odyssey 2001 scene where um, I had my group do the monkey sounds with zero context. That was actually one of the <laughs> first scenes we did for the day. 
And they were, they were like, wait, what do you want us to do? And I was like, just be monkeys, just be monkeys. You just beat up the, the regular handed monkey. And you know, it was, they, they killed it. It was great. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) Can we talk about the voices going on during the end credits? Oh yeah. So we also, so when you're in the bagel universe and well, in the temple, all the people are standing there. The Daniels really wanted to have everybody saying things. We recorded just, I think it was the last thing of the day, just everybody just saying random things. And it's actually really hard for you to just think of random things when you're told to. But um, at the very, like during the end of the credits, they, we put all of those tracks through the credits. So it sounds like people are talking around you. Um, And we had a really funny review where somebody was really mad that people were talking and he almost turned around to yell at somebody and realized he was the only one in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> actually the sound so um it's also a really fun easter egg almost all of you have individually mentioned that the first time you saw it you were prepared to take notes and you ended up just getting sucked into the movie that exact same thing happened to me i went down to watch it knowing i was going to talk to you and think about okay what questions can i ask for sound and i just completely got sucked into the movie and yes <laughs> sucked we did it <laughs> looking back on it some things popped out to me to ask you but i'm not as well prepared as i normally would be because i love this movie so much <laughs> but so i'm wondering if you can help me out with that and maybe tell me what one of your favorite scenes to work on was uh Andrew, do you want to take that first? Sure. It's that ascent up the stairwell into the final confrontation between Evelyn and Jobu. One, that that whole interaction between Evelyn and Waymond, the music in that moment when, you know, she's figuring out that she needs to approach this in another way, that kindness is going to be the motivator. You know, that that whole moment is very, I find it beautiful. And then you go into this really playful action sequence going up these stairs. And one, I love the flow of it. Paul Rogers, the picture editor, cut it together magnificently. So there's a wonderful rhythm. The music's great, but it's subdued. So it was more like an animation approach where we're picking elements that will kind of guide you and stick out. Like, so you feel the sword coming and then it comes into view. And then every time Evelyn goes to grab, there's this subtlety that Daniel Kwan, like it took him a little while to explain it to me. He's like, I want this kind of electromagnetic charge right before Evelyn grabs someone. It's like, she's bringing her power and she's about to transfer it. And that will incite the change, which is like a playful little cork pop. So, like, you know, the bullets change into googly eyes. When she grabs the, the couple, they, they're suddenly getting married. And that the look on the face of that woman actress there just gets me every time. Um, and then the grenade that turns into the perfume, when he sprays it, it's just this beautiful mist that we verbed out. And I had recorded these little bird chirps from the feeder out in my front yard. And it was kind of my nod to Looney Tunes. Like when he gets blissed out by the, the aroma of his wife's perfume and it's Biff Whiff is the actor. And he, he's just got this goofy look. It was like, it, it's like that scene, that moment was meant for that for me. And <laughs> so I just built that out. And then by the time it all culminates, she gets up to the top of the steps and they're in front of the bagel and they're having their final out. Uh, just once they really start kind of fighting, 
all those impacts we played up really big. I, you know, ev everything leading up to that was pretty big, but we kind of saved it all to like build to this moment. Her foot goes down, you really feel the earth crunch. And as they're spinning around fighting, we come, like, I built the hell out of those BGs. Just so, you know, one, it will all encompass you in the theater, but they all have like one or two bright elements that would stick out. Like when they're in the forest, you have the birds. When they're in the desert, you have those flying embers moving around you. And there's just something so, uh, it's just, a, like a peak that just totally worked out for us. And then the music culminates and I, it's just this huge release. And I, I'm just really proud of that sequence, man. I like, I could talk about it all day. <laughs> awesome. Well, it, it played great in the theater. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Brent, do you have a moment that stands out for you? Well, I used to say it was a hallway scene, the inappropriate sounds of inappropriate objects, but <laughs> um, actually thinking like an adult more, um, which is hard for me to do at times, is the opening scene really sets a tone. It's so manic. It's so overwhelming. You hold your breath. It definitely kind of has the feel of like a more fun, playful version of like uncut gems. You're like, why am I holding my breath? Oh shit, I've been holding my breath for five minutes. It's just a laundromat. What's going on? This is a lot. Am I supposed to be paying attention? Having those sound moments of like, you know, we pass by a laundry. We hear the laundry go by. Somebody pushes the cart by. It passes by front, you know, and pans left to right. Then we have hitting on the thing. Then we have different literal physical spaces with Wayman yelling down from upstairs and then appearing. And, you know, so we're really able to play with space, location, audio as in space because sound at the end of the day is just pushing around the air. And so this way we got to be really creative with how we pushed around air. Alexandra? Oh, it's so hard for me to pick a favorite scene. I think I pick a different one almost every time. But today, <laughs> <laughs> today I'll talk about the three-person fight in the office um, with Evelyn, where we are stitching together the fight that we see and also jumping universes into her other existences. And I feel like, I think that that mix wise was really fun because you follow the thread of, you know, her with the shields and all of those whoosh sounds that morph into the sign twirling, but you still feel the different universes because you hear the cars and the traffic and the beeping. And as we go from universe to universe, there are quick sounds that let you know that you're somewhere different. And at the same time, it's all glued together with the sound of the fight sounds. It, it was interesting because, uh, again, Andrew provided us with a multitude of sounds for the fight. And there were some really great sounds that at first I was apprehensive to to get rid of um there was some like really good like hits and stuff but what we ended up doing was sort of like refining the mix down to these you know whooshy kind of like felt elements over over the impact elements and i think that that allowed us to really follow the the movement through each universe i think that that's really effective in the theater last word to you julie just like alex so many favorites but I guess the ones that pertain to ADR I have two so my favorite one that we did with ADR is Randy Newman as Rakakuni that just was a childhood dream come true to work with Rakakuni and then um it 
he was really funny. He didn't understand at first that he was an animatronic raccoon, not an animated one. But once he got that and the Daniels and him started to have um, a dialogue with everything, he ran with it. It was, and like gave us so many good like ad libs and one liners. And he sounds amazing. Uh, I also had Ryan Lott from Sunlux in the session with us, who was also kind of directing him. Um, and then, cause of course, the music or his recordings went for the soundtrack and everything. So that's definitely my favorite one that I worked on. And then there's one that didn't have any ADR. And I think that was a big point. The um, parking lot scene, uh, the Daniels, they refused to do any type of re-recording ADR or anything in that scene because the performance was already so impactful and so powerful. Our dialogue editor, Daniel Raphael, shout out to him cleaned that scene up and did a spectacular job just so we didn't have to do ADR. And I think it's very beneficial for the performance and for the film because that scene, I mean, that's the one that's the tearjerker. That's the one that gets me every time. And I think that if we went in and redone it, it wouldn't have landed the same way. And I'm very happy with how that one turned out. Well, that's the thing about this film is that... uh... Hold on, hold on, Tim, Tim. We already told ours. What's yours? Yeah. (laughs) Well... From a, as you mentioned, from a childhood point of view, the hot dog hands are just hilarious. <laughs> they make me laugh. There's no stopping that. But the the parking lot scene, that would be my favorite scene because what I was just about to say was that you're going to the movie for the, the big fights and all the insanity. But then, like, it has a real heart, this film, that I didn't really see coming, to be honest with you. Like, obviously, it leads you there. But when I first sat down, I wasn't expecting to have a tear. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, and it gets you there. And it's a really fun movie that has a heart. And, uh, and it's a fresh movie. And I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's got 97 on Rotten Tomatoes, which I realize Rotten Tomatoes has problems. <laughs> but 97 <laughs> is something special. There are so few movies that get there. I will take it. I understand why it's there because you can't leave that theater being upset. Like, and it's also a movie that you leave the theater going, we got to go get a coffee and talk about this. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a movie that you just leave, get on the subway, go home and never think about again. <laughs> it's one that you want to, you, you got to see this movie just so I can talk to you about it. Like that's the kind of thing that it right. brings up and a movie that can bring, uh, you know, friends together. What more do you want in life? They knew they had finally made a great picture when they, left the theater and people are talking to strangers and having these common moments with people over their film Mm -hmm. that they didn't even know and how this is such an important film to see in theater so you can have those moments so you can walk out and bring people together to be like oh my god hot dog hands yes and also i cried (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. i've seen this movie a million times and i still cry Mm -hmm. still cry and i mean there have been there have been some awesome movies that have come out in the last year or two but man like this this one really reminds me like god man we need to go to the theater more we really do i like the idea of it going away there for a second (laughs) you know we were during the pandemic seeing theaters closing down left and right and i was a little terrified and then a lot of people have been bringing their A-game across the industry recently, and I feel like we're part of that group, and I'm really, really stoked that people are doing that. It's um, good to be back. It is. and But also to go back to that parking lot scene, that was also another moment that allowed us to breathe, but also really demanded the audience to still be engaged because it is so, so important. So like during that scene, we made a point of like, we have really big city backgrounds, like 
highways like there's a mechanic shop across the way but we made a point of trying to wrangle everything in around it so you could truly focus on the emotional intensity of that conversation it was very important but also just like yeah a moment to rest and be like you're here this is it like all the rest of that stuff is not what you need to be focusing on right now this is the moment we are grounded in reality yeah it was about like pulling pulling back and focusing and, and to go back uh, to what you said, Timothy, is I feel like when, after you watch this film, something's unlocked in your brain and a part, it's such a wonderful part of your brain that gets unlocked. It's like the, the reminder to be kind. And I feel like after people have seen the film that they've like had the same mushroom trip as me. <laughs> and that, and that now we now we connect. Now we can really like talk about everything. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a situation where I spent the, the next day telling everyone I knew to go see it so I could talk to them about it. So oh, that's yeah. so great. Yeah, it's a really fun film. Uh, I hope that anyone listening does make an effort to go experience it in the theater because as we've just been saying, it's it's definitely worth the trip. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, I'm a big fan of the film, so that makes me a big fan of the work you did on it. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Bye. Film Bitters is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 